The country is the cure, the topic of today's episode. I've got a good mate from flight school in with me today, Kingsley Moore. If you haven't seen him on socials already, you need to go check him out. He has lots of experience out west, um, not only on the ground, but as a mustering pilot as well. And I'm very excited to have him in the studio today. He's actually just finished up his turbine endorsement with us, so he made a um, just random decision last week to come back to Townsville and do that with us which is always great it's always wonderful to have um, old faces come back and visit so it was really lovely to catch up with him and I was like hey let's get you on a podcast because I know a lot of you frequent flyers are very interested in that style of work in becoming a mustering pilot or even outback Oz working on a station all that sort of stuff and I've always said you need to see that part of Australia it's you know a field of work that I'd love to dip my toe in a little bit more if the time comes up in the future you know to get a bit more experience in agriculture so personally I always find it very interesting to hear these stories and that's kind of the whole reason Aviatrix Airwaves was started in the first place was to just get people in like Kingsley and share their stories and kind of help you guys understand that your story is important and every story is completely different and yeah I just think he's got a very unique story he comes from you know a little bit more of a rough growing up childhood and then has completely flipped his life around you know really made a career that has helped him flourish and it was just wonderful to sit down and chat with him today and also stick around for the end because he's got quite a funny travel chat to leave us with today so another chatty style interview today so I'm going to leave you guys with that and I hope you enjoy this episode make sure you follow Kingsley on the socials you guys can message me at any time at Georgie underscore Arnold and tell me who you want to hear on the podcast next and I hope you guys can find something out of this episode because there's definitely a lot of good little golden nuggets as I like to say and a lot of things he's learnt along the way that he shared with us in today's episode so enjoy ladies and gentlemen welcome aboard aviatrix airwaves please do not turn off your electrical equipment which you are listening to this podcast on and instead just sit back relax and enjoy as we are about to take off into this episode Kingsley, the newest AS350 pilot in Australia. How do you feel, mate? <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Pretty yeah, good. How yeah. do you feel sitting in the studio today? Oh, uh, yeah, no, good. Nervous, good? obviously, but yeah, I've never done this before, so. Mate, you fly choppers all day, every day, and you're, you're nervous to be sitting down chatting to a little blondie. I think, <laughs> I think we got you. I'm liking this already. <laughs> You've been in the industry for quite some time in agriculture. When and why did you move out west and start your journey? Well, I suppose I got a little bit of an unconventional start to the industry I sort mm -hmm. of I guess I won't go too deep and bore you with my story completely but you know a bit of a rough childhood all that kind of stuff dropped out of school grade eight I was still enrolled but obviously never went ran away from home ended up going down a pretty dark road I suppose you could say in drugs alcohol all that kind of jazz as you would sort of live in that sunny coast lifestyle I guess you could say but um yeah then uh Funnily enough, the house that I was living in at the time, it got raided and that was sort of a pretty big wake-up call. Even though I was so young, it was still a bit of a wake-up call and, you know, obviously starting to cry out for help a little bit there. And mm -hmm. You were been so young, what, 12, 13 at the time? At, the, at that time, I was, it was the end of 2010, 
um, that oh, happened. So, yeah, I just turned 15, I would have. turned 15. Yeah, and then the following, um, just at the 2011 floods um, in sort of central west Queensland, got sent out west, I think it was March, I ended up going there. Yeah, rocked up, hat backwards, set of tracky dacks, and, <laughs> you know, a shirt and all that sort of coasty sort of look. Yeah, that was my introduction to Outback Australia, I suppose. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you moved away to kind of get out of the troubles that you were facing in childhood. It was, it, was it your decision to move out west or did someone kind of push you to go? You said the house got raided that you were in. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I definitely got pushed. Um, it was from my uh, dad and his new wife's side. They, mm-hmm. They're the ones that um, sort of, you know, the opportunities there, they didn't force it upon me or anything. They're actually pretty smart about the, how they sort of uh, helped me make the decision to go. And, um, yeah, went out there. They said, no pressure, just maybe try a month if you like it, three months if you like it more, six months, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, sort of a three-month uh, experience or what it was supposed to be turned into nine years in the ag force so it was um yeah i sort of never looked back really it was pretty incredible to you know go from one extreme to the other yeah. what was that first kind of transition like what was the feeling like you were quite young at the time what do you remember any of that stage for those who are familiar with sort of central west queens there was um a property outside of windora called Krongaloo, and the first experience was you know shit it is hot it's dry it's (laughs) like what am I doing here sort of thing but because um it was right after all the floods and everything everything was bright green it was gorgeous and we drove up the uh, big ridge and once you hit the peak and start driving down you see the big creek system and the big homestead and um, obviously all the horse paddocks out the back and everything it's all just bright green and I was just like wow like something you see in a movie sort Mm -hmm. of thing and um went and saw you know, all the guys, and to me it's normal now, but back then yeah. I was just like, what are all these, like, guys wearing all these funny-looking hats? <laughs> you know, jeans. Like you're wearing today? Yeah, no, <laughs> your no. Your like, caps, your big sunbody hats? Yeah, yeah, all yeah. the big felt hats and stuff, and I don't know, it was weird, but it was, well, it wasn't weird, it was, like, extremely intimidating, I should say. And, yes. um, yeah, I sort of, you know, tucked up in a bit of a ball and was like, yes, sir, like, to everyone. So, yeah, and um, on the first day... Um, they were actually having a day off and uh, I think it was Sunday um, yeah first experience on a cattle station was straight into doing a killer you know so that was you know I thought meat came from a butcher you know and <laughs> here we are with this beast laid out and pulling you know skinning it and you know ripping meat off it and everything like that and it was just I'm not going to lie, that was overwhelming. I don't know, I was sort of like, oh, yuck, like, what What are we doing here sort of thing, you know? But, yeah, it's funny. It's actually sort of embarrassing um, to see the type of person I was back then so young and so unfamiliar with that kind of mm-hmm. lifestyle to, um, you know, nowadays it's, you know, I'd, I'd launch straight into do, into it and do it and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was, that was my first day on a cattle station. <laughs> I think that's such an important message to give as well is that I think a lot of people think that, you know, people like yourself who on social media seems like you 
you know what you're doing, you've been out there for 13 years doing this type of job and mustering and flying and all that sort of stuff, but you still had your day one yeah. back in the day and you still went into it with absolutely no idea, put yourself out there and here you are and it's turned your life around completely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Should, yeah, yeah. So across all the years that you've been working, what kind of positions have you worked in? What have your roles been? I guess going down the like genuine station... Um, Station hand path, it's sort of, you know, you you do your sort of first three to four years leading into, you know, a leadership role, like a leading hand. Everywhere you go, they call it something different. But, you know, you step into your lead, uh, leading hand roles and then into a head so what kind position. So what kind of jobs, everyday jobs, would you be doing in those roles? Um, to tell you the truth, it actually changes property to property, company to company, because, you know, for instance, the fellow I was working for at the time, he, incredible stockman, Born and bred in Windora, like knows the land like the back of his hand. Um, incredible chopper pilot as well. He was very big on, you know, you've got to be able to ride a, um, ride a horse. You've got to be able to ride a bike. Like I'm not just saying sit on it and bum trot around the paddock. I'm like actually ride ride a rough horse. And, yeah. you know, if, if he calls you out on a motorbike when you're mustering or something, you have to be there. So there was, you know, and then obviously bore running. Uh, sorry, pulling bores, maintenance on vehicles, uh, machinery operation, like everything, you had to be able to do it before you could earn that type of role. So it was hard for when I left there and you'd get a role where all you did all year was brand calves and ride horses because I was sort of like, oh, like I can actually do that. Why can't you send me on that sort of you know, job and stuff like that? But, yeah, I'd, I'd never take the time I spent with him. Uh, I actually, yeah, still hold so much respect to him for... Um, you know, the few clips under the year he gave me and, you know, the kicks up the ass and everything like that. But, you know, I needed every single bit of it because that's, that's what sort of, yeah, uh, built me into the person I am today. So, yeah, at the time yeah. It, you were, I bet you were kicking up dust. You're like, no, nope, I don't need this. But looking back on it now, you're very grateful for it. Oh, 100%. Cool. Yep. So what made you want to step into a pilot's role? Were you offered? Was it something you wanted to do? How did you get there and where did you go from there wanting to do your pilot's licence? Aviation was never a thing for me. Being so young, with no guidance, all that kind of stuff, I was extremely narrow-minded and I was very knocked down from my upbringing of never thinking I was good enough or anything like that. So the dream happened in the first week. I was at Cronglue Station and um, the manager, David Cross or Crossy, came and um, uh, he was running the horses in. But because it was still wet, we couldn't get around a motorbikes or anything, so I ran up to him like an excited little kid would and said, oh, could I come for a fly, blah, blah, blah. And um, he said, righto, get in. Yeah, we went out for a fly. I was just sitting in that thing over the moon. I wasn't even looking for horses. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that was that's where the sort of dream came from. I was just like, oh, I would love to do this one day. Yeah, after that, working underneath them every year, it sort of passion grew stronger and stronger. Um, same thing, the uh, costs and the thought of not being good enough and all that kind of stuff, you know, just general mindset stuff was mm -hmm. the limiting factor that held me back so much. But then I got a little bit sour towards, uh, uh, like, station, not so much the lifestyle but the type of work I was doing, it just wasn't for me. I didn't want to, you know, step into management roles or anything like that, so... Which was that... Then your next step, was that kind of what you yeah. were expected to be doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was the next progression mm -hmm. on that sort of line of career. And it just, I don't know, it never interested me. Um, and I ended up making the courageous decision to stop 
you know, being a ringer and all that kind of jazz and had a partnership with uh, Machinery. So um, we had a couple loaders and we were desealing and um, desealing dams, clearing fence lines, uh, pushing up roads, all that kind of stuff. And it was awesome. Like, you know, it was... I lo- always loved machinery and, you know, me sort of running that and then I was also running the camp at the time as well. Um, had three drivers, uh, at most three drivers plus myself when I had the time to get on them. Um, and that was a massive year when I was 23 and that's sort of where I got the funding from to then go and pursue my licence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And funny story, I actually don't share this too much, but I actually originally only come to do my private licence because that's all I could afford. Um, So obviously my theory plus my... I was going to do my commercial theory plus my private flying Mm -hmm. and then I rocked up here and I heard of TAFE and I thought, shit, yeah, like why wouldn't you? So, yeah, walked away with a full commercial licence instead of a private licence. So, yeah, all those guys out there that are saying, oh... You know, TAFE this or hex debt that, blah, blah, blah. Like, judge all you want, but, you know, I've made a serious career out of it and, you know, put so much passion and integrity towards, um, like, my job and the role I have in um, aviation. So, yeah, like, I don't know, I reckon it's the best thing. If you haven't heard of it, like, look, look into, into it. Yeah, look into Townsville Helicopters, for instance, where I did it and... Yeah, I'd highly suggest go down that path if it's a serious passion of mm-hmm. yours, yeah. And flight school can be another quite daunting step in your career. You know, we said before that there's always a day one for everything and you were, again, going from something that you had got so comfortable with and you were doing every single day to, again, moving back from, you know, the outback back to the city, even though Townsville's quite small still, it is still yeah. a city and the lifestyle here is very different. What was that like? Um what was kind of flight school like for oh, someone who mate. was just out west running their own show? <laughs> the Well, it, the flight school was about five months, but I was in Townsville for about six. And the crew we had, well, the class we had, absolute, you know, bunch of legends. We still all talk. We still all catch up as much as we can. And it was, I don't know, I'd, I'd, I'd do it all over again. As stressful as the exams are <laughs> and the school and all that kind of stuff, it I, don't, I would definitely do it all over again and yeah. 100%. Yeah, you know what's so funny about that because I think when you're in flight school everyone's kind of wishing it away. Everyone's yeah. like, I can't wait to get out, to get a job, to start flying, you know, to start earning again. But then I think especially from our class and our year when we were in there, everyone now looks back and they're like, the things I would do to go back to just be sitting in that study donger and just chatting shit, you know, doing yeah. whatever going out flying around cape cleveland or up north like it's just the best time so that's a little bit of advice for anyone in flight school or going into flight school Mm. to to not wish it away because you'll be old bastards like us one day sitting there wishing (laughs) that you were back there (laughs) studying and yeah (laughs) could do it all again (laughs) yeah so since flight school where has flying taken you um so wa was always a passion of mine um I, I wouldn't say passion, but it was always a place I wanted to go and experience, look around, et cetera, et cetera. I was sort of, you know, nine years in Queensland and a little bit of an introduction to the Northern Territory in that time. I was sort of, I was definitely overdue for a change. Um, so I actually rang every man and his dog trying to find a job. But in saying that too, when you, when you get your licence in November, everyone's either already have uh, positions filled or... Mm-hmm. They're not chasing anyone, or if they are, they're just waiting till 
next year when they actually need someone and et cetera, et cetera. And I ended up getting on to a fella uh, that was based out of Broome in WA and uh, had a start with him. It was great experience. I got some good hours, um, got to see some incredible country. Um, it was a sort of... It wasn't a step straight into commercial sort of flying, like every day that's all you did. It was more um, like I did, a, uh, as every junior pilot like needs to do. Uh, there was a lot of hangar time there, a lot of time, um, like when I was flying, I'd land and I'd go hang out with the camp or stuff. I was sort of, you know, I'd, I'd help out here and there, but I wasn't really a part of the camp like getting paid for that sort of type role. So yeah. for those guys, you know, they didn't have a cook, for instance. So I just put around, make sure the helicopters were all um, clean, right and ready for the next day, as junior pilots sort of do. And, um, yeah, I'd go cook a feed and do all that sort of stuff, like fill that bit of a role for the camp yeah, and everything. just help out where you can. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty good. Um, it wasn't a massive season, but I think... Uh, off memory, I think it was six or seven hundred hours for my first year flying, so it was still great. And I was only there for shit. Might have only been six or yeah, six or seven months or something like that. Like it wasn't a big year, but um, yeah, it was still a great experience anyway. And um, after that, I am extremely grateful for this opportunity. I um, ended up flying for um, Pirate and Jamie Elliott at Fitzroy, um, and um, in the Kimberleys as well. And that's where I feel, yeah, that's where I feel ex- extremely grateful for because uh, Pirate and Danny Kimber, for instance, they're like, you couldn't even imagine how many hours they've got mustering experience. And they show so much um, integrity towards their work. Um, you know, they get all that cowboy shit out of you, they're throwing the machines around yeah, and all that stuff. Habits. Yeah, because, you know, at the end of the day, we can all do that. It's the fine-tuning, like, the slow flying around like a grandma that, like, a lot of mustering pilots actually can't do. So it was good um, for their them sort of taking me under their wing, um, teach me a lot of their stockmanship, um, airmanship, and all that kind of stuff. So, and, oh, they hi- hold such a high level of professionalism within their company, so... Which is excellent to hear. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. So I'm extremely grateful for that, and... Yeah, and then this year um, I sort of technically a full-time role but sort of a, more of a contractor full-time sort of role with um, Borderline Helicopters, so Nick and Sophie don't. and Yeah, they're incredible people too. Um, based myself down in the Channel Country with them, uh, which was good to get back there and have a bit of a look about and, um, yeah, see the old, I guess, the old stomping ground, I suppose you could say. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it was great. I've um, had a massive six months with them. Um, so right now, I'm just trying to make that transition into getting into turbine helicopters and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I um, obviously put myself through my squirrel endorsement just gone. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Very exciting. Incredible machine. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> I don't think I ever want to get back in a Robbie uh, now. <laughs> Hey, come on. Come on now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so pretty well back to square one again. Um, even though I've got all this experience behind myself, mm-hmm. um, yeah, back to square one again, resumes on the phone, trying to chase those um, turbine jobs because mm-hmm. the hardest part about them is they all want, you know, time on type and, um, mm-hmm. you know, minimums, you know, total times and et cetera, et cetera. So, 
Yeah, I might be back in the hangar sweeping floors yet. I doubt it, but, you know, it's, it's back. Hey, you never know. You never know. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, but back to square one for now. But I do have a few good leads and um, a really good little network at the moment with a lot of supportive people, like, helping me and trying to guide me on the right path Yeah. to find the right sort of role. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's all it's pretty exciting, actually, just to see what's to come. And mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Oh, qu- quite a lot of our frequent flyers and followers are interested in in ag or in flying, do you have any tips for those people who want to get out there, they want to land their first job as a beginner pilot, there's a lot of questions, you know, how much time do you need on the ground before you then step into a machine, like all that sort of stuff. So any advice for anyone wanting to step into a role as a mustering pilot? If Yeah, if we look straight at mustering pilots specifically, like I'll, uh, I wouldn't say ignore them, but we'll just put like, charter scenic operators um, Mm -hmm. to a side just for a moment if you are just that dead certain you want to be a mustering pilot you want to you you know you're going to be a part of the ag force for the rest of your life or you know for a chunk of it or something like that i'd highly recommend to treat it as an apprenticeship you know fair enough um, the ag force offers cert one two three fours and all that kind of stuff but there's no actual um, apprenticeship involved it's just a matter of doing your time so earning your stripes I suppose you could say so for me like I'm not saying do what I did and go do nine years if you can shit yeah because I can guarantee you now it's going to help you more because you've got the people skills you've got the general station duty skills behind you you've got the situational awareness you know you've been on many musters so you know you can troubleshoot things a lot quicker and um, you know you've You've got that radio chat experience, so tones of voices, everything like that. Like people skills is the hardest thing you can possibly learn in any industry. So Robbie's sitting there nodding, going, "Yep." <laughs> but um, yeah, so it, in my uh, personal opinion, if, if if you're really dead certain on being a um, mastering pilot, I'd do three years minimum. It's got to be three years minimum. But if you can step into you know your fourth or fifth year with um, a leadership role, leading handlehead stockman. You know, that's going to put you so much further ahead stepping into, like, mm-hmm. flying and um, being a mustering pilot because the leadership roles give you those um, people skills. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we are temporary headstockmen on the day. You know, fair enough, they run their crew, they send you here, there and everywhere. But, you know, if I need you here and your headstockman sent you there and there's nothing down there, I override that and get you over to where I actually need you. Yeah. So, yeah, do... You know, three to five years, I highly recommend. Um, I'm not saying don't do your licence in that time. 100% go do it. Stay current, build your hours up, um, do the odd ferry job here and there and stuff like that. But, yeah, definitely definitely treat it as an apprenticeship because it's a career at the end of the day. And there's nothing worse than working with or witnessing... How do you say it? Without pissing people off <laughs> there's a lot of cowboys out there let's say um like pilots and you know they can you know they all throw machines around and they all um abuse staff on the ground and you know it's, it's just very denigrating the way they speak to people and i feel as if if you've got that experience on the ground and you've experienced pilots or headstockmen and stuff abusing you for something you've done wrong that you actually don't know about Mm-hmm. then one you're making yourself look like a fool in the air and two you're just you're knocking everyone's confidence out on the ground and the best part about me is I came from nothing I've rocked up with a, my hat backwards and 
track pants on and you know fr- fresh off um fresh out of the coast so you know i did get yelled at i did get um you know kick up the ass here and there and a clip under the ear and all that kind of stuff and i refer back to a lot of those were i actually didn't know and uh, a nice little thing i learned this year just doing some centers training with the um company i was doing a bit of work for was um someone brought up what common sense is and how can it be common sense if it's not common and what i'm saying there is if you don't know then how is that common sense you know, I'd, I always remember back, okay, this guy's got, you know, a couple of years' experience. Um, if he does something that I think, come on, mate, you've, you've already done this before, then I'll little, I'll, I wouldn't say I'll be harsh, but I'll be a little bit more stern with, mm-hmm. mate, get out of the way or why are you there, get over mm-hmm. here now or something like that. But if they're doing something that's unfamiliar to them or they're unsure of um, the outcome or anything, I try and jump on the radio and just explain to them what we're going to try and... Um, achieve today or on the yard up or something like that when jobs can get a little bit challenging with let's say you know sort of feral cattle or uneducated cattle so yeah try and talk to them in that regard uh in that tone of voice just low mellow like you know i'm not having to dig it yeah we're just talking you through it blah 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 and it's it's so confident building for them because there's nothing worse like the two camps i was um working with this year from the way the relationship started from when I work, uh, first showed up there to the way um, it was when I left, like we was, I felt like I was part of the crew. The radio chat we could have um, out on Musters, the, the uh, confidence they had to um, talk to me about anything in the air. Like, yeah, obviously some of the, some, they're probably laughing if they're listening, the, <laughs> some of the radio chat got a little bit R-rated at times, <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, that's oh, that's all it part does. of it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's, um, I don't know, I reckon it's all about like building confidence in your staff yes. um, and, and your crew because, you know, you might be a contractor and you might blow in and blow out once the job's done, but, you know, they're still your crew for the day and um, all the week or however Working together, not against each other. Yeah, yeah. So, because you, you can get your staff that are either like a little bit ignorant or a little bit stubborn. They don't want to ask you... Um, so they'll try and do something their way. So there's nothing better than your staff having the confidence to, or your crew on the day or whatever, having the confidence to just say, hey, Kingsley, um, I'm not sure what you specifically want us to do here, um, blah, 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 and you know, I'm not going to talk back to them like, oh, you should know, or do this, do that, do the other. Like you just, I actually really appreciate that, mm-hmm. and I show so much respect to those people that actually ask for help because they're showing are willing to learn and they um, are willing to learn, they show respect to you and they show respect to the outcome of the job, I suppose you could say. So mm-hmm. so be willing yeah. to learn, be understanding and if you're on the opposite end of that, be able to teach and, you know, show respect in the people, the fact that people don't actually know what they're doing, it's not common sense to them. Yeah, they're exactly. just trying to learn. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. How can it be common sense if it's not common knowledge? Mm-hmm. So, I love that. Yeah. I love that. You've been in the industry for... Long time, 13 years. Why, and frequent flies, if you haven't checked out Kingsley's socials, you need to go do that. Is it just kingsley.more? Have I got that right? Yeah, it's, it's kingsley.m. Um, .m, okay. Yeah, just with two E's. But yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So if you've seen his socials, you would be blown away. Awesome stuff on there. But you really have just started to pick it up, I say, in the, the past year or so. Really yeah. started to share 
the ins and outs of the industry and your journey and kind of started to feel ready to share your story why is it only just now and not over the past few years um what's is there anything that's kind of ticked over that you're like i'm ready or is it just, just um time? to tell you the truth it was it was never a thought of mine to share it because i was sort of how would you explain i was i didn't think anyone cared i just thought mm. like who cares like everyone's got their own story like why why sort of share it and the whole when I first started posting videos and everything on Instagram, it was just, oh, yeah, I thought it was like a profile. Oh, yeah, you know, not so much a day in the life of Kingsley, but, a, you know. Just like to share what you did. Yeah, like highlights and, you know, a cool story or something like that along the way. And it was just stuff going on my profile as a bit of a memory bank, I suppose, but also sharing what I sort of do for work or where I am at the time and stuff. And then I got you know, a little bit tricky with it all and <laughs> sort of, you know, got, got better with making reels and editing and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've, I'm actually pretty proud of some of the um, videos and work I've done along the way and some of the photography and that. And then it was actually people on Instagram that reached out to me and there was a few guys through ABC. Um, uh, the Bush Journals reached out to me um, uh and a few other guys and then obviously a lot of um, people that want to get into the industry, they're the ones I really like because it's just like, shit, yeah, I've inspired them sort mm-hmm. of thing. But, um, yeah, and then I went and did a um, – I can't give any information out about it, but I did a bit of an interview. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be released next year. Um, it's all sort of in relation to what we're doing, just probably a little bit more in-depth. And, um, yeah, they – I sort of thought, who cares? But then they changed my mindset for it. Like, look where you are now and look where you've come and, like, let that actually sink. Don't just think about it for a second. Let it sink in. And I did. And I was just like, shit, like, I've actually come a pretty long way here. You know, it's pretty impressive and showing, you know, a lot of pro- uh, pride in myself and everything. And I was just like, you know what, stuff it all, you know, take the plunge and go from there. And then as soon as one, I did one, um, then the next one, it was like a chain reaction. And, yeah, there's the feedback the um, I've received, like the positivity in regards to everything, The um, every, like all the companies that have reached out to do podcast stories, um, books, magazines, all that kind of stuff, even photo shoots and everything. It's just like, holy shit, like, this is mm-hmm. pretty cool. So sort of Instagram turned into a little bit of a professional glorified resume of myself, I suppose, and... The next step for me now is, I won't say too much, but I've got a little bit of a project. <laughs> you got a goal. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've got a little project on the side. And yeah, there's a pretty big uh, dream in that, but I want to mainly direct it towards my journey and the journey to come. Mm-hmm. But also, I didn't have any tools when I was younger in mm-hmm. guidance or anything like that. It's hard to search on the internet, you know, types of jobs and anything like that so if I can um, use my Instagram uh, platform to portray um, Mm -hmm. like where I've started and where I've gotten to people can be like oh shit yeah you Mm -hmm. know I want that or I want something like that or something. Through sharing that what message do you really want to spread through sharing your journey with other people? Well I guess at the end of the day the only thing holding yourself back is you hey so (laughs) like that's a big and it's hard to get out of that mindset uh, because I can guarantee you now I've been down the whole anxiety depression path and all that sort of 
you know, stuff that's a lot more commonly spoken about nowadays. So I liked that podcast you did, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, on stop saying people are lucky, mm. you know, because I used to do that too. Oh, you're so lucky, you know, you live in a mansion, you've got a happy family, you know, you've got this, you've got that, or, you know, you look at your career or look at the nice car you drive, you know, you're so lucky, 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 but... I never looked at the hard work they put in behind the scenes mm. and, you know, now I'm starting to appreciate it and change my thought process on everything. Now I'm just like, shit, like, you know, what I've got, it, it actually never fell in my lap, hey. No, and it doesn't <laughs> you know? for anyone. It's, yeah. it's hard work, yeah. Yeah, so and you look, you know, and, and it couldn't have fallen in my lap because I've gone from um, living on the Sunshine Coast with, like, in Drago houses from getting raided police and all that sort of like negative yuck lifestyle to where I am sitting today putting myself through there's hope yeah you know like in um thousands of dollars worth of endorsements and all that kind of stuff so it's um yeah you know get get up off your ass because it's not going to fall in your lap hey <laughs> that's right <laughs> Make and a you, name for yourself. you've clearly done a lot of reflecting which is incredible and if you could go back to that very first day what would you tell yourself that very first day when you stepped out on the station? What would you tell yourself? It's hard. It's hard to say because I was so young and I was so overwhelmed. So even if I did tell myself something, it probably <laughs> you wouldn't have listened. No, I wouldn't <laughs> have. But um, once I sort of settled in, so maybe three years in or so, mm-hmm. um, I'd probably say to myself back then a little bit more is um, stop worrying so much about what other people think and focus more on your integrity towards the work you do because we've all been there we've all like going out fencing for instance there's a broken wire and you pretend you didn't see it or you don't strain it up properly or you go past it and you know it's that's your job to do but it sort of becomes a reflection on your life like if you can't fix that broken strand of barb and do a good job on it well what makes you think you're going to do a good job in your own personal life at home sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So once I learnt how to, which I had help um, trying to, the, the, if the guy who told me this, he'll know who he is, um, he said to me, stop looking over the fence and start watering your own lawn. And I didn't understand it at the time, but now I do. And it's stop putting um, your attention towards what other people have, in, um, et cetera, et cetera, and start building you know, yourself up, you know, build your portfolio up, build your experience up. Um, your skills, all that. Yeah, yeah. So that that's probably a big one I'd say back then um, is, yeah, stop looking over the fence and start watering your own lawn. <laughs> I love that. No, that's good. And yeah. I think it's been really refreshing to have you sit in the studio today and kind of talk about your story because, I mean, that was the whole reason this podcast started was to share stories and to – yeah, really tell you that it is important to share your story and that you are there are always people looking up to you quite literally when you're up in the air <laughs> but no it, it's it's refreshing to hear pilots like yourself because I think a lot of again going back to mustering pilots do feel that it's like oh you know I'm a pilot we've already got a bad rap that you know it's like cocky and you've got too much yeah. confidence you can't get up there and talk about your story when it is important and it is important to share it because there could be young boys on the sunny coast who yeah. are like yourself 
and who are looking for a way out. And by you sharing your story, it's inspiring someone else to get out there, to put in the hard work and to chase the dreams. So thank you for coming in and sharing it. It is, I hope that you continue to share it and that all our frequent flyers can jump on and follow along the journey because there is a lot to come and I'm very excited. <laughs> no, well, thank you very much um, for yeah, having me on. And yeah, no, it was, it was an absolute pleasure, to tell you the truth. Tell me, tell me your best travel chat. You've been flying for ages. What's your best travel chat? <laughs> um, Come on, you'd have plenty. I'm trying to think of how to word this one. Tell <laughs> it, tell um, Well, I get... So I was, I was doing a 44 job. I was just, it was just ferrying um, passengers back. And it was the staff um, on the station I was based at at the time. And... You know, there was a few social drinks happening and all that kind of stuff and I showed up and was like, oh, yep, you know, ready to go. I went and caught up with everyone and they had a couple more, whatever, but then we went to, you know, obviously take off. It was getting a little bit late, so considerate of um, daylight and all that kind of jazz. And um, the girls were a little bit tiddly, I suppose you could say. They've had a couple and, you know, they weren't, they weren't intoxicated drunk. You know, they were fine to fly. They were just, you know happy excited sort of move ah mood and um <laughs> on the way there i don't know it's just <laughs> look at his face he's like oh gosh where's this going yeah, yeah where's it going um, yeah we i guess one thing led to another there was a lot of banter and everything there was another guy sitting next to me in the front as well and the two girls they were in the back seat and one thing led to another i guess it was just you know a bit of liquid confidence or something and yeah the the tops came off, the bras came off, and they were sitting in the back of the 44 with me, sort of flying on the way home. So. That would have been the best day on the job for you ever, or what? <laughs> what, was, uh, what were you doing? Were you? Yeah, it was just ferrying. I was just back, ferrying Just back. taking them back from the party. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. Robbie! What a yarn. No. That's awesome. No, naughty, naughty, oh, naughty. I won't, I won't say their names, but they're top chicks. Like, yeah, they're good fun. But um, Top chicks or top list chicks? Yeah, top list, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Both. <laughs> but, yeah, they'll, they'll know who they're talking about, and they're probably going bright red in the face now. But, yeah, yeah I'll keep names out of it for yeah, that you, sake. Yeah, only they'll know. want to be a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be a pilot, hey? Yeah, See yeah. See topless chicks, cool. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, so. none of that. Oh, that's gold. <laughs> Any pilots who have chats, send them in to our travel chats because I love to hear it. That's gold. That's <laughs> up there with one of the funniest, I think. That's good. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> uh. Oh, good stuff.